Welcome to another episode of Sustainable Goat. I'm Steve Cassingham, and I interview the greatest of all time in sustainability from the past, present, and into the future. In this episode, I talk with Treva. Chime pieces have traditionally been either on the luxury side or the utility side, without a direct mission behind them. Treva is a Swedish watch company, and they create timepieces that not only start conversations around sustainability, but are incredibly stylish as well. These are watches where luxury meets impact. So let's jump into the conversation with Ludwig. I wanted to start out with just a little bit about you and kind of where you're originally from. Are you originally from Stockholm? Did you grow up there? And kind of what does your early life look like? Uh, I grew up just outside Stockholm, uh, another neighboring island to where where I live now. Uh, but that's that's a it's a much bigger island and it's connected with a bridge and so so it doesn't really have that island feeling. But it, it was very close and it's also very close to Stockholm. And so did you did you just kind of go to school and always interested in sustainability, or did you just kind of kind of end up where you are now? It's a good question. I think my my parents were were and are very outdoorsy, uh, so they always brought us along uh, to different parts of the woods. Uh, you know, my my father he's very much into birds and and uh, mushrooms. Even that 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 could sound strange, but but it's uh, more from a consumption perspective, uh, mm. and. And so he would always bring us out to, you know, in the springtime to look at, at frogs or, or, um, or, or snakes or birds or whatever. And when I was younger, I wasn't super excited about it. But then I probably when you get older, you start to um, merge more towards your, your, your you know, your parents' interests. Uh, so it was a lot of focus on, on going outdoors. Wow, that's super cool. So you, I, I grew up going outdoors as well, and it, and you kind of just gained this appreciation for for the outdoors. I read in one, I think it was in um, in this book, Homo sapiens. It's called in Swedish. When they talk about where where that that's the, one of the the humans' biggest complexes that we have we have drawn ourselves so far from nature that that we have the uh, the will to get back in, but we don't know how. We're extremely disconnected from nature and we want to go back in, but we're, it's like a, a, a super good nightclub but that we really want to go into, but, but we, we don't know how to do it anymore. That's, that's such an interesting concept because, yeah, I think we, we've kind of slowly uh, lost our connection with nature in such a way where it's, we don't, yeah, we don't know how besides just going out on a hike and kind of trying to get involved in it, but yeah, you kind of lose touch. Yeah. We can look at it, but we, we can't like we can't join it. So education wise, did you end up going to college? What did you kind of study? What does that look like for you? I actually went to college to, in England and uh, went to um, a, a university called uh, Hull University. I specialized in business and then I studied marketing for, for a year. So what kind of made you start Triwa? And, um, so you had four, four co-founders, um, including yourself. What was that process like? Were you guys kind of just sitting around and like, man, we need to come up with a better idea of how to, how to make watches? Well, it, it started off with my brother having a watch. His, he was out traveling for a while, and then he came home with a watch that I thought was really cool. And I, and I had it on my wrist, and I was thinking if it would be 
a possibility of, of making a similar watch or actually to distribute the watch in Sweden. And then I met up um, my friends and we were all like having conversations about it and about the watch industry. And uh, I even thought we called the Italian company and they weren't interested in, in Sweden as a market. So we were, we were like back to square one. And then we decided that it's, it's more fun if we could try out making our own watch brand. And that's where it started. And from that, it was like, okay, what could we actually, what, what, how could we contribute with a new watch brand? And that's when the idea of, of Triva came along. Like, how can we transform the watch industry and, and look at it from a new perspective? I mean, there's a lot that goes into starting a brand and starting a business and, you know, finding how to create a watch. What was that process like? Because, I mean, everybody, everybody has watches, everybody wears watches, but there's a lot that goes into actually constructing a watch. Yeah, but we were, we were also luckily very young and naive. So we, you know, we... We went to, to China uh, to find a factory or producer. And we also had other daytime jobs. So it was more like a, a small test. And then, uh, you know, we started off with those 400 watches. Uh, we went to our favorite lifestyle stores and, and were able to... Um, to actually uh, convince them that this was a this was like a pair of sneakers, and and somehow we managed to do that, and uh, we started to sell, and we started to sell quite a lot. So I remember when sitting at that old job I had back then, uh, went to the toilet, and I started to like pick and pack in the toilet, and went out to the post office to send out the watches. So um, <laughs> that then it was we were starting to realize that this is actually a possibility to make make it like go all the way and then we quit our job one by one and we had it up and running the first year wow was it was it a conscious choice to start with humanium because i wanted to dive in a little bit more into just like the idea of changing the watch industry because you know there are a lot of watches on the market but you know yours is obviously different what what was kind of that conversation like after we started and we fast forward maybe seven, eight years into the business, we were starting to realize that that sort of transformation that we started off with wasn't really a transformation anymore. There were a lot of fashion watches on the market. We were selling in, in normal watch retailers. And we also could feel that it was time for new transformation, which would be um, adding sustainability to the business. And back then I met up with a friend that worked with a um, NGO called I am like I am. He were, he was helping them conceptualize the idea of melting down weapons and making it into metal mm -hmm. because previously they had confiscated weapons and they would, would um, actually sometimes throw them into the ocean or, you know, make some other type of garbage of it. And the idea was then, could we make this into a precious metal? So, so we, were, we were there very early into the conversation. And we were able to say, like, we want to go with this uh, because this is exactly where we are heading. So from that, it took maybe two years to have the product on the market. But it was a really good, uh, like... It was a really good start uh, for this new journey. And it was also 
quite naively, uh, it was uh, the project was a lot bigger than we would have thought it was, but it's um, it, it paid off in the end. Yeah, was it just kind of like something that you guys wanted to do as as a fun little project? Let's see if it works, and then you know, kind of went, wow, this this is really something that we can run with. Not really, because on 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 the strategy level, we we were aiming for this new transformation of sustainability. So we could see this as a very good step for it. However, we didn't see all the obstacles that would come into making a, a watch in a completely new metal, you know, filled with rust and all this. So we we would have thought it would have been a like a one-year project, uh, but, but it took us two years. And um, yeah. It, we learned a lot. Yeah, what goes into actually creating a watch? How, like, what what is the process from going from I would like to make a timepiece to here is one? What just because I don't think a lot of people know how watches are actually constructed. There's a lot of different parts, and um, normally you would have different factories that specializes in all the different parts, uh, but the Today, the movement market, like you, you would find a suitable movement and you would build the watch around it. So it's like uh, an engine for a car. Uh, so you could find that movement and then you design the actual case around it. Mm-hmm. And, and there, right now, I mean, I know there's, there's Japanese movement, there's Swiss movement. What, what is the, what's the difference between the two? Uh, well, the Japanese have been making movements now for for a lot of years, uh, and they're making really good quartz movements today. They're making really good automatic movements today, and they're also uh, somewhat drivers of innovation. So, from from the like showing time perspective, they're equally good. From a you want to buy into a long tradition perspective, you still have the Swiss movements that are are you know are fantastic uh, mechanically. But from the just showing time perspective, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I want to dive into a little bit of that tradition of watches. Like what you know, a watch has always been a a status symbol. It's a way for people to show either what brand they buy or whatever that is. What was coming into that market like? Because, I mean, you guys were competing against uh, Piaget. You guys were competing against Rolex. I mean, all those guys. I mean, you were competing, but you're not competing. But at the same time, you're doing something novel. Yeah, that's a very good question. I, I think that's where we succeeded when we started. And I think that's where we're succeeding with with our time for change strategy. That That status would normally like one 1. 1.0 of status would be showing off that you have a really big really expensive watch but status 2.0 is showing that i actually wear something different and i wear something different as a statement uh, and when we started off our watches were like um, 800 crowns uh, quite colorful and and they were launched you know 2007 2008 when there was this big uh, stock crash we also saw a lot of celebrities especially in sweden showing off that yeah i'm wearing this because i don't want to be shown off with a rolex or with a very expensive watch it, it's more a statement to to wear 
this this plastic watch from Triva. Uh, Swatch had a similar success when they launched, and I think it was called internally that Swatch stood for second watch. Mm-hmm. So the idea was to show off that you actually wear something that's not a Rolex, but but you would probably have a Rolex at home. To to make a comparison to Triva and our time for time for change strategy. I think the new status is to show that that you actually care. You want to drive change and you want to be part of a sustainable future. I, I had no idea about Swatch. Like that's what that stood for. That's such an interesting, interesting way to brand it. Um, I always thought it was just a brand name. Yeah. So what, is, what does Trevis stand for? Technically, it's an uh, acronym for transforming the industry of watches. And do you feel like you guys have done that so far? Well, I think we started off really well. And then we had a period of quite conventional watches. They were still, you know, had nice design and so on, but we weren't really in the forefront of transformation. Now we found our way back and we found our way back through something that we all could stand for internally uh, with this time for change strategy. And why is that important to you and and the team? Like, what what makes that mission drive you guys forward? Because it, it is a hard challenge to you know decide to do something different, to do it harder, to do it in such a way where you know the consumer is not necessarily going to see it in the short term. Yeah, I, I at least for me, I would say it's it's a psychological aspect of of branding, where as we talked about, what is really status. Uh, is that showing off that you you are buying into tradition or you're buying into money or could it actually be something else and and be something that that could actually help the world today and and from like being a male having a watch as more or less the only accessory it's connected to a story and if that can be connected to a story that's bigger than style and status then then we have something really strong because I see that one thing is to make the watch from ocean plastic and and, um, recycled weapons. And it has a small contribution, but a watch is still a very small product. So even if we would have made, uh, you know, a million watches, the watch itself is so small that that it wouldn't equal a million weapons. But it it comes with a story for the wearer to, to contribute. Yeah, got it. Yeah. And when, I mean, the, I think the story I've always been in branding as well. And like the story is super important because you want people to care about what you're working on because that's, that's what gets people to advocate. That's what gets people to kind of start a movement into something new. And I think from a branding perspective, I mean, you guys are doing something completely different than what other people are doing. It's something that's not on the market and it starts conversation, right? I mean, what, what was it like getting feedback from people who were wearing, watches were they were they saying hey like people keep asking me about my watch it's not a rolex like what was that kind of process like for you guys we get a lot of feedback from people that that would actually be ambassadors in the way that they would tell the story about where the watch was uh, how the watch was produced and also talk about you know the issues that that comes with weapon control the number of shootings every day you're making a statement. Well, and I think especially in the U.S., it, it it isn't as prevalent about how much stuff we do dump in the oceans or that, you know, the ocean is actually changing. So I think 
from from a roundabout way it's also about education it's about educating it hey we got some real problems and you by making your purchasing decision you can you can change that narrative you can be a part of that change whether and a, a watch is a simple example of that and 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 that's i haven't thought about it in that way uh, before but going back to this we're feeling that we're outside of nature i also would see that a lot of uh, consumers feel that they're outside you know they're unable to help but making like small contributions ca- could also help yeah and so what have you guys kind of done as a as a company cuz i mean you do have definitely give back model in what you guys do you guys are starting to work with economy what what does that kind of partnership look like in the bigger picture for you guys it it's a joint effort with the consumer so we are now saying the carbon footprint that we have on all watches and we call it time for transparency so it would show the industry what it actually what what kind of carbon footprint a product has it shows us you know where we can improve but it also shows the customer that okay i would buy this it has a carbon footprint of 1.40 kilos if that if that becomes a new standard the consumers would also see like okay if i buy this it has this this carbon footprint if i would buy a pair of jeans it has this carbon footprint and then you could like you could start adding up and start to see what what all your purchases act, actually result in and that's when i think it becomes interesting and it's also a way of of showing it's not necessarily good to buy this product but if you want to buy a product make sure to buy the product that that has the least carbon footprint yeah and so why does that matter in in the grand scheme of things like carbon footprint why does it become a business decision for you guys i mean why it actually matters like they would go why why me i just go to the store and i buy what what looks good to me on the shelf today for a lot of people at least we're starting to understand that that you know if you if you travel around the world with it with a airplane it actually pollutes the planet if you would drive you know your car every day with fuel it has some sort of pollution but there are no numbers really so i think in in a greater scheme if we're starting to get numbers and we start to understand numbers we could start acting a little bit better so a quote the other day it was a little bit cheesy but i liked it it was on planet earth we're all we're not passengers we're all crew so it we're all in this to if we if we're supposed to drive change we're all in it together and that's when you know putting numbers to it actually starts to clarify for end consumers i think yeah and i i think transparency is a huge topic that i think a lot of people are starting to look at a little bit closer i mean part of it comes from the privacy side of of internet is kind of where i think it it kind of started was the idea of like hey tell me what's really going on but now it's starting to trickle down into products and why products are made the way they are what what their actual full supply chain is because that's the thing like you could buy something that is quote unquote sustainable but you know there's the manufacturing process there's the shipping process there's everything that takes it to get it to that store so i mean that that decision that you guys made um do you see that being something that's kind of 
permanent in in the brand to kind of say hey like we are transparent about this like we we do have a manufacturing process we try and do it as clean as possible but it's kind of a challenge to other brands yeah I, yeah because i i would see hopefully a lot of other brands would go in the same direction as you said then then you would have a like a future where you could see all your purchases and see what they actually uh, contributes to if we're transparent for our consumers we're also transparent internally so we could see where we can improve because by adding up all the steps like transportation has this amount of carbon footprint production at this amount production of of glass production of metal production of then then it's also easy to see where we can improve that's the idea is that it's a constant improvement i mean you don't know what you don't know and if you constantly push to innovate you're going to find new ways to to do things do you remember the first time you got a watch made out of humanium do you remember seeing it for the first time what what was that like for you uh, the first one was actually 3d printed no way that was early for 3d printing too yeah it was it was and it um it, it felt really it was like that was the first feeling of we made it like this is actually going to happen prior to that i had a i don't know what you call them in, in english but you know when you have you buy gold you buy them in like gold bars or something mm, mm -hmm. yeah they had made one of those in the same way as an ak-47 uh a like humanium bar uh that was filled with rust and everything and that was also like a very symbolic feeling that it, like this is this equals one ak-47 in weight and it had like it was the first product to be made from humanium so from that, we had the next step where we got uh, the, the metal from El Salvador. We made it into metal powder in Sweden, and then we 3D printed it. And yeah, it, it felt amazing. Do you think there's other avenues for, I mean, this process that you guys have developed? I mean, not necessarily just humanium, but just the idea of being able to take materials and 3D print them. Do you, do you see that there's a future for that outside of just prototyping? Yes, for sure. Small problem because the um, the fine mechanics of a watch and the preciseness that you need to have to have, you know, all the, the movement and the glass and, and so on in the right place. So it, it is a bit of a challenge. But the uh, method of taking a metal from weapons that we're doing today or you're taking and then you make it into a powder. Mm -hmm. And from that powder, you could reconstruct it into a watch. That process is really interesting for future developments. Mm -hmm. Did you guys, um, what was that process like when you guys had to remove the rust out? I mean, that. so I mean, there's challenges when you take a new material and actually make it into a watch that extended you guys from a year to two years. What were some of those hurdles that you guys had to overcome in that process? Mentally, mostly, not to go ahead with that. <laughs> I kind of like the idea of it rusting. It, mm -hmm. it contributed to the story, but we had a lot of like internally uh, internal discussions about it. I really like the idea of, of the storytelling that the watch would actually rust because it wouldn't be harmful, but it would be a thing where you know people get stains on their shirt or 
or, you know, we would get a lot of reclamations that it rusted, but we had a lot of discussions about it. And uh, in the end, we, we decided to redo it. That was mostly the, the, the biggest issue was, was to sort of uh, decide internally whether or not to go forward with the, with the rusted watches. I mean, that's such an interesting idea because you think about like the patina of, of leather and how that kind of ages and it, it shows each unique character and that, that rust would do that. Was there a way to kind of put the rust in inside to where it wouldn't get on everything else or, or is just the way that it was die cast that it would be one piece? I have some other chemicals uh, in, the, uh, in the, the powder to make it uh, sustain better. But, mm-hmm. it, but it's fun that you mentioned leather because prior to that, for a very long period of time, we worked with uh, sustainable leather uh, made in Sweden where the leather got a lot of patina and we loved it. It was, it was tan leather. It was made organically with bark. So it had a super nice feeling and it, it got a lot of patina. But we had a lot of reclamation mm-hmm. and we were saying, well, this is sustainable leather. Uh, this is the way it ages. It's, it's part of the charm. But, but I would say 50% of the customers would reach back to us and they said like, well, it has another color than when I bought it. And in the leather industry, you would have something called genuine leather. And genuine leather is the lowest of the lowest when it comes to uh, branding leather. It's, it's more or less like leather powder that you, you put into a new product. Really? It's so funny because a lot of brands will say it's genuine leather to say as if it's a, it's a great thing. Yeah, it's like, but it's actually, it's really, really shit leather. But then you're trying <laughs> to educate customers to say like, this is really good leather and really good net leather ages naturally. And, and that's actually something that's good. That was part of the dis- discussion with the rust happening on the time for peace watches that okay then we need to educate all the customers to tell them that that this rust is something (laughs) that is actually very good for you and we decided not to go forward with so so yeah watch watch band design when you when you buy a watch you can switch out the bands um, which was kind of a newer concept i think it was kind of more of that with that movement of watches that were alternatives to the to the brands you have the movement watches and a lot of those other brands that kind of had that same concept but you guys have a different approach to actually making bands like you make them out of different materials so if i would love if you could just dive into when you guys were thinking about watch bands how to do it differently we're now making our watch bands from recycled ocean plastic as well and making watch bands of recycled ocean plastic is a lot easier than making watch cases and then we have organically tanned leather, and that's about it. What does that process look like, though, when you when you choose either a supplier or a process? Um, when you decide to do different colors, I mean, what is what does that process look like when you guys are deciding we want to go with? Because you guys have some really bold colors. What does that color conversation look like when you guys are like saying, "Hey, we have these materials. Can we push it to this color?" We have something that we call the product council. Uh, within the organization. Nowadays, uh, during the pandemic, we've all been working from home. So we've added digitally and it has been a lot harder. It all comes from, uh, you know, mood boards and ideas and um, in, in connecting it to different topics. And then there are some elements of, of fashion, trying to uh, work with colors that, that are in style. 
but it's all it's all in in our heads and especially our designer said to to now work with the right colors yeah when it comes to i've always been fascinated with color theory um just the idea that certain colors can inspire certain things in people and what what they actually mean and i've i've always loved to pull colors from from nature itself so you get that sunset palette how do you get that that orange as it goes to blue to purple you know what are those hues and color palettes and i think you know technology has helped us to be able to you know you could take a photo and pull that color as you guys think about fashion and getting more into that celebrity space if you will are you guys trying to to choose colors that are, are going to stick with basically that celebrity market to have to almost people lead that market to have consumers be like, Oh, I really want that watch. What's that watch that that celebrity wearing? It's hard, uh, especially for the, uh, U S market. I would get, I would say because the, uh, in, in Sweden, we've, it's been a lot easier. Of course, this is our, like, this is our home turf in the U S we've, um, we've tried and we're trying now even more but that more comes down to advocates of different topics especially time for peace and time for oceans uh, to find ambassadors that are willing to 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 be ambassadors because they also believe in the cause and of course i would love to work with someone like woody harrison or somebody that would like yeah that could actually talk about the topic and and be a strong ambassador yeah and i noticed that you guys um you guys started doing sunglasses and i noticed that gwen stefani's worn worn the sunglasses apparently she's an advocate for that did you guys actually work with her on that or was that more of just like she just happened to wear it and you guys got a photo and we're just super pumped about it we had a period when we sent out to a few people that we really like really thought were cool ambassadors Mm-hmm. And and Gwen Stefani was one of those lucky shots when when it's like yeah she she actually likes them and we were super <laughs> excited about it. Then we had a problem not really communicating that she had it because then we were like okay hey it's all in all these magazines, but they need to say where where it actually comes from. So we we had a lot of exposure, but it wasn't really connected to the brand. Uh, then I had one moment when. Um, Kiss was playing in Stockholm, and uh, and they were they had seen our sunglasses because we were selling at one of the hotels where they were staying, and I had a call when they said like yeah they really like your sunglasses uh, and they want to drop by the shop tomorrow could you be there and I went there and I was like when I was younger and still am a big Kiss fan and I was there alone. You know, they came in with the entire crew. They were there and they really liked the glasses. They brought along three or four glasses. Then they, he came to pay and it was like, okay, you don't need to pay. I'm a big Kiss fan. And then he put his black Omex into my hand and he said, everybody's a fan of money. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And I mean, what what was that feeling, I mean, for you to be able to to have that experience? I mean, as, a, as somebody who's just you know, you're creating a product to change people's mindset around wearing watches and wearing sunglasses. I mean, what was that moment like to have validation from people that, you know, you're fans of? Yeah, it, it was fantastic, of course. It, it, was, uh, it was one of the biggest moments. Then I had one of, another, another um, of those where I gave Dalai Lama a, um, a Time for Peace watch. Wait, are you serious? You gave the Dalai Lama a... 
happened. I have one of those pictures standing next to Dalai Lama, handing handing over a watch. Wait, hold on. Okay, <laughs> what was that like? That was um, that was um, yeah. That, that was like he uh, he is he's backing the project of Humanium, uh, and he came to Sweden to uh, to talk at you know a big hotel, and then uh, afterwards I was able to join him and a few others for lunch and then i i you know could shake his hand and hand over a watch uh and i my my brother just had a he had his um his first child was born that day so i was able to to uh, send him a movie where dalai lama said uh, welcome to the world Hugo. i i hope you all the best something like it. that's incredible that I mean, that's something you just hold on to forever. That's that's so cool. When it comes to actually getting out to a bigger market um, and going the ambassador way, I mean, was it a challenge for for the distribution um, to kind of either? I mean, you said Kiss found it in a hotel. The distribution model. I mean, you have different ways of doing it. You can go to distributors and they'll they'll place it in places. Or you guys, like you did in the beginning, you guys hit the ground running and just kind of went, hey, can you guys carry our watches? How has that distribution model looked like for you guys? Has it been kind of just, we just want to get in as many hands as possible? Or have you guys been very selective in how you distribute? We had quite a broad distribution for a while. Um, and we had stores like Colette, American Rags. Uh, I think we sold at Nordstrom's. It was good from a... Of course, from a distribution perspective and, and, and selling large volumes, the problem was getting the brand through. Because in the end, it ended up in a, like, especially when we sold to the bigger watch retailers, it ended up in a watch cabinet next to thousands of other watches. And it was really hard to, t- to tell the story. So it was good from a, like a first sale perspective. It was harder from a sell-through perspective. So when the pandemic came, uh, and pr- actually a bit prior to the pandemic, we were starting to look at going back to a complete uh, direct-to-consumer. And then the um, pandemic came, lost a lot of clients, of course. But it was also good because then we could go back and, and really like work on a new website, have the possibility of tell the complete story. And now, of course, looking at it again, uh, selling to big watch retailers is hard, but finding a few good wholesale accounts where you could tell the story, that that still works. Yeah, I think that's the part that separates, I mean, obviously it separates you guys from the rest is that you do have a story about it. I mean, if you... You know, anybody goes to the site, it one, it's a beautiful site. Um, the design is be, it, fantastic. But yeah, you, I mean, you get, the, you get the mission right when you land on the site. And, you know, if you're next to a bunch of different watches, a lot of, it's, it's hard to tell the difference when you just see Trua and then you see Rolex and then you, you, you just see brand recognition. So Ocean, the Ocean Plastic Watch um, has intrigued me um, because there's a lot of a lot of products lately that have been made out of Ocean Plastic. Like I, my water bottle comes out of the UK and they make Ocean Plastic water bottles. What was that process like? Was it because that that material was getting hot on the market, or is it something that you guys were kind of looking to do, kind of as as a next step? 
it was it was a natural next step after time for peace um and also you know since i live on live in an island i go by boat every day the ocean is from an environmental perspective is the the area that i care the most about uh so i was starting to talk to our producer and said that i really wanted to do it and and the the weird thing is during that time and say that this was four years ago there was a lot of recycled plastic producers but when we were starting to look at them some actually made new plastic bottles because they could say that they recycled so they produce new bottles to recycle them and, and sell recycled plastic. Then we found, and this is a, a quite amazing organization uh, called Tide Earth. And they, I, I think they were the first to discover how to make granulates from the ocean plastic. Mm -hmm. um, and the story is that we get a lot of ocean plastic that, that now comes in. The problem is to to handle it in the right manner, because when you get the plastic, you know it could be burnt as energy, or it could be landfills or whatever, and it doesn't really solve the problem. But Tide Earth managed to make granulates, so they in turn could sell to a company like us that could make it into you know uh, watch cases and watch straps. So I was able to find them, and from that we started off, uh, you know, designing, and uh, we had a collection a year and a half later on the market. That's amazing. Well, that's really really cool. Why the ocean for you? Like, why? I I know you live on an island, you've been surrounded by the ocean, but why is it so important to you? I think I've I've always been, you know, I'm I'm a diver, I'm a surfer, I'm a I you know I. The ocean is where I would love to spend most time of my life. And looking at it being polluted is, you know, devastating. And I could also see it's a very, it's a very clear narrative. It's dying. Mm -hmm. it, it is actually dying. And, and, you know, trying to find all sorts of, solutions that would help educate and help you know in, in a small manner make, making products from from all this garbage is is um, you know the best thing i could do from a business perspective mm -hmm. yeah and your watches are i mean you go diving with your watches and yeah was that was that a cool experience when you first went surfing and diving with your with your own watch Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah. it was. It, it also probably annoyed the social media team a bit that I was sending pictures all the time on my wrist <laughs> underwater. <laughs> I, I mean, hadn't used it. I haven't used it as much as I would like. <laughs> I mean, that's such an exciting thing, though. I mean, you're you're making a product like to actually also make a product that you're going to use in your life. Um, and I think that's where product designers and, and companies often miss the mark is the best products are the ones that d are designed to solve problems for the people that create them. Um, you know, they, they want a better solution for X, Y, and Z. And so they, they design that and then it happens to be a problem that a lot of other people want solved as well. 
And that was one of our first mottos when we started the company was that it was designed for ourselves, our friends, and people with great taste. I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> so it was, it was sort of, uh, as long as we were intrigued by, by making them for ourselves, we thought we had a good, you know, a good way of, of finding new solutions of product development and so on. And so was that part of the process in starting to do sunglasses? Um, what was that kind of shift for you guys? Uh, we were making uh, we were making watches in uh, cellulose acetate. That was uh, quite early in the in the um, history of Triva. Then looking at this material, it comes in sheets, mm-hmm. and it's uh, you know made in Italy um, and some other places, but mostly Italy. And when you buy one of these sheets, you have this pattern. Um, you could have, you know, these turquoise patterns and all sorts of different patterns. And from that, we could make um, make our watches. But we also understood that, you know, this is normally used for making sunglasses. So we thought, well, why not try to make our, you know, our own pair of sunglasses from it? Mm-hmm. And we did three pairs the first year, and then we did, you know, four pairs the uh, pairs the other other year. Uh, and then when the company grew, we also made a lot of new designs and, and a lot of people were involved. They were even more involved in, in the sunglasses, uh, the, the sunglass design, uh, because it involves, you know, everyone in the organization. From an accessory perspective, it's quite close to the watch. Mm-hmm. From a sales distribution perspective, it's very far from a watch. Yeah, was because it? You buy it, you buy it in a completely different manner. You would, you know, you want to try on a pair of sunglasses. You want to, you know, you want to, you want to try them on in the store, or you want to have a website where you, you know, order home four pairs and you send back, you know, three or something. So, I mean, do do you guys hope that you're kind of going to be the type of company that inspires other companies to start to start companies? I mean, the the idea is, I mean, when you look at Tesla, for example, an electric car company, you know, they were hoping to move the electric vehicle industry forward so that way other companies would start making electric vehicles. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the only one, but they'd be the first one you think of. Is that kind of your hope that you're going to kind of start that movement to where other companies are going to start thinking more circular economy and circular, you know, kind of production? Yeah, because if if, if we can show that, that, the, that the consumers want it, then, then it would also trickle down to uh, producers trying to find better ways of making their products, and mm-hmm. from other for other brands to find you know new ways of making products that are sustainable. And in oh. the end, that makes a huge difference. I was reading the other day; it was quite inspiring. I read that Volvo they they invented a safety belt. Like, you know, this three-set mm-hmm. safety belt mm-hmm. in, like, late 1960s. And at that time, they saw that they had gold. And they did a lot of tests, and they see that, okay, this actually saves lives. Mm-hmm. But instead of, of having the patent for themselves, they decided to have it as an open source. Because, like, the greater good would be saving more lives. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I I remember that Mercedes Benz was actually one of the first ones to put it in in vehicles, um, 
but I didn't know who actually created it. That's, that's really interesting. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Just thinking, thinking about like that impact and when you go, Hey, we'll just kind of create this and let the world have it. Um, it, it has a much larger impact. Every single vehicle has one now. Um, and people are much safer now as a result. That's, that's really, really awesome. So as you guys are growing and building, what's kind of your hope for the future of either consumers or sustainability? What is, what do you hope to see in the next like five to 10 years, whether it's on a consumer side, inside your company, what do you want the world to look like? I don't know. I, I think the um, discussion that we had in the beginning is interesting that you make sustainability into status. That, that people actually are, are not from like purely vanity, but people are actually proud to show that they make statements, that, that, that they are part of driving a change. Um, and that's where I could see it coming. Like the consumer attitude of, of showing that you are, you know, you are, you are able to make a small difference through how you consume. And that's from like our industry perspective, from a bigger perspective, of course, I would see like if we could make a big difference into saving the world in all aspects, in, in technology, in uh, consumption, in um, yeah, general behavior, then, then we could have a better world in, in you know, 20, 30, 40 years. Awesome. Do you, do you remember your first purchase that you made uh, that you knew was like a sustainably made product, whether it was made sustainably, whether you knew that it would last forever? Do you remember your first thing that you consciously went, hey, I'm going to make a choice to purchase something that is different than what most people purchase? Yes, from a, but that's more like buying something that I really wanted, but buying it secondhand, like, um, mm -hmm. you know, buying a, a jacket that I really wanted. And, and it was like, this would actually look better and feel better as a secondhand product. I love that you mentioned that. Like it's the, this idea of like, it doesn't have to be new. It, it can, it, it has a long product cycle. And I love that you mentioned that because no, nobody actually has, by the way, every guest that's been on the show has never mentioned a secondhand product, which I think is so interesting. It's a dangerous area when you work <laughs> with new products, but it's, uh, it's also a way of, of um, inventing. Yeah, definitely. Where's your favorite place to enjoy nature? West coast of Sweden. Really? What, what about it? It's uh, because, you know, I told you I love the ocean. I live on the, in, on the Baltic Sea, which is um, it's a very nice area, but the sea is not very healthy. Mm. It's, the water is bracked. Do you call it bracked when it's mixed salt and sweet water? Mm, interesting. Um, and it's, uh, it's one of the most polluted seas in the world. But if I go to the west coast of Sweden, you would have the Atlantic. And you would have, like, the islands are all rock. Wow. There's no, there are no trees or something. So you would just have, like, 
plain stone islands and wow. and fantastic ocean you know filled with life with seals and um and and also like small whales and um a lot of fish ludwig thank you so much for just all all of this it, it was so great to just dive into honestly the construction of watches how watches are made what you guys made it out of that that whole story and just your your brand narrative i think you know as creative director and and co-founder of course having that visionary side of things i think is really really valuable it's really awesome because i think you're changing the narrative of what what consumption can look like and what what accessories can look like i mean i think watches have been always been as you mentioned a, a status symbol and to be able to start a conversation of saying, hey, I, I stand for this, I believe in this, and this is why I wear this watch. That's that's really powerful. And I just want to say thanks for doing what you're doing because um, it's it's not an easy problem. Inspiring interview. I think you, you're, you're, you're very good at answering the right questions. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat. Definitely go check out Treva's watch selection as they are always releasing new limited edition watches to spark more conversation and create more impact. And if you're looking for a new watch or looking to wear something every day that shows what you stand for, Treva's watches enable you to do just that. And if you've been enjoying these episodes, share your favorite one with a friend or post it on social media. Your support goes a long way and the more the community grows, the more impact that we can have on the world. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Sustainable Goat.